Welcome to the Cary Church Podcast. For more information regarding Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. Good morning, everyone. This morning I'm reading Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. The birth of Jesus. In those days, Caesar Augusta issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman Empire, Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius, sorry, was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judah, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven. On earth and on earth, peace to those whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed, and what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Good morning. How are we? Welcome to Kerry. My name's Dave Kilpatrick. I serve as the Director of Ministries here at Kerry, and it's just a joy to be opening the Advent series for you this morning. In the lead up to Christmas, quick quiz, who's got their Christmas tree up yet? <clears throat> Who would like to have had their Christmas tree up by now? Who's just worried that it's time to put the Christmas tree up? We haven't got ours up yet. My youngest daughter has been away on school camp for about 10 days, and she is just the tradition person in our family, and it's got to be just so. So she would be devastated if the tree came home and the tree was up. And um, I mean, it's funny, I, 
a lot of the times our memory of putting the Christmas tree up is kids fighting about baubles, but um, it's a beautiful thing, so we'll do that when she gets home and uh, look at putting that up. Christmas comes around every year. And as a preaching team, Peter, Mark and I were thinking, well, how do we, how do we think about Christmas this year? How do we look at it differently? How do we unpack the scriptures and, and, and look at this remarkable event with fresh eyes? So we had the idea of, well, what about if we looked at the event through the eyes of different participants in the story? Sometimes it can be helpful when you're reading scripture rather than just to read it passively, to actually read it and put yourself in the perspective of one of the actors in the story. So if you're reading the story, for example, of the Good Samaritan, you might read it as if you were the person who'd been robbed and lying wounded on the side of the road, looking at the people judging and looking, walking past. You might read it from the perspective of the Good Samaritan himself. You might read it from the perspective of one of the people that walked past the injured person on the side of the road and... and uh, kept to the other side of the road. You might read it as one of the people in the crowd listening to the story that Jesus was telling. So we thought, we'll look at, we'll look at um, the Christmas story like that. We'll unwrap it in a different way, as it were. And, you know, you've got Mary and Joseph, you've got the wise men, you've got the shepherds, and you've got the innkeeper. You know, the guy who ran the inn, at which there was no room for Mary. Thus the baby in a manger which was a great idea, and I got the innkeeper. There's no innkeeper. We've all seen the movies, the pictures, the renditions of the innkeeper looking out the window, shaking his head, softening, probably because Mrs. Innkeeper was beating him. How can you leave a pregnant lady out there, let them in? We've seen the pictures of, of baby Jesus in a manger, in a barn with animals. Who's got a nativity scene like that? We've got a nativity scene like that. That's lovely. I don't know whether it's actually true. I don't know whether it's actually true. We, we know very little about the circumstances of the birth of Jesus. We really don't. I mean, it says to us basically this. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to a firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in the manger because there was no guest room available for them. That's all we know, but all this tradition has grown up around it. If you'd read the NIV, I was looking and thought, where's the inn? Where's the inn of which there's no room? Who's moved Christmas? The old NIV prior to 2010 actually said there was no room in the inn. The new NIV that's come out since 2011 reframes it in the context of a guest room. And the reason for that is the Greek word that's interpreted was as in, now as guest room, is the word kataluma. And the Greek word kataluma can be, have a variety of different meanings. And it can mean in, more commonly perhaps guest room or upper room or eating room. But that's the word that's used. And if we think and try and picture the circumstances of the birth of Jesus... There's a couple of things that's helpful to bear in mind. Firstly, David was going back to Bethlehem. Uh, Joseph was going back to Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem was his ancestral home. He almost certainly had family or at least distant relatives there. And, and he was Jewish and the Jews knew their lineage. They knew who they were related to. And this is Jewish Palestine. Hospitality is a really significant element in their culture. 
The idea that David would have turned, uh, Joseph would have turned up to Bethlehem and not had relatives that he could have called on and approached and said, can I, this is who I am. And that they would have put him out with a pregnant wife in that culture is highly unlikely. We don't know, but it's highly unlikely. The other thing that's helpful to bear in mind as we think about it is the nature of the architecture back then. So often, <coughs> often the houses were just single rooms. The whole house was one room. That makes sense of the scripture when Jesus was saying, let your light shine. And he said, when you light a candle, you don't put it under a bowl. No, you put it on a table and then it gives light to the entire house. Why? Because often the house was just a room. And if you had a cataluma, a guest room, it was either at the back of the main family room or in a more sophisticated dwelling, it was perhaps on top. So the, the upper room or the cataluma was the guest room and down below was where the family lived. And so we know from the reading that there was no room in the guest room. There was no place available from the guest room, probably because other people had got there first. Lots of people were coming back to their ancestral place because Caesar Augustus had called for a census. So there would have been other people who've arrived first. Within the living place that... Palestine Jews would have lived in, quite often they would have their animals in with them at night. I'm not talking about 100 sheep, but you know, maybe a donkey, a cow, a sheep, whatever it is. They would have often brought them into the house. That way they didn't wander away or get stolen at night, and it actually helped with warmth. They couldn't turn on the reverse cycle air conditioner. So having some, some large animals in with the family at night helped to keep people warm. And so what you would often have is perhaps the front section of the house, uh, the, of the, this room where they all live would be a, a dirt floor. Remember, this is sort of over 2,000 years ago. would be a, a, a dirt part of the floor. And they would have some depressions dug into the floor for a feeding trough. That's where they put some hay because the animals were in there overnight. That was a manger, a feeding trough. And then there'd be perhaps the back section of the room where there'd be a harder floor and the people would sleep. So the, the sort of dwelling would just be a place where the family lived. They'd bring their animals at night. There'd be a, a manger or feeding trough in the floor. And all of a sudden, we've got a picture of Jesus being born in the middle of a family because the, the guest room had already been taken. And, and there's animals in there and you can... It's logical, there's, everyone's sleeping along the floor, and so where are you going to put this newborn baby? Well, there's this, there's this soft section right nearby where mum's sleeping in the floor with some hay. Where's the innkeeper? I'm preaching on the innkeeper. It does change the picture a bit, though. And I kind of like the idea, I think, of Jesus being born in the middle of humanity, He's still born in humble circumstances. He's still born to an unwed mother. He's still born in obscurity. He's still lying on a depression in the floor. I wonder what the master of the house thought when he saw Mary and Joseph approach. Maybe he knew them. Maybe he didn't know them, but Joseph explained his lineage and said, oh, come in. I suspect they were entirely unremarkable. They were not wealthy people. They didn't come with attendance. 
I suspect when Jesus was born, he was an entirely ordinary child. I suspect that completely contrary to the carols, crying he made. I suspect he cried and pooed and weed and ate like any other baby in the middle of a room with a possibly strange family, almost certainly not known by Mary, lying in the hay. Could the owner of the house had any comprehension of what was going on? Could the owner of the house for a moment have contemplated that this baby, this child, was the son of God? That he was, in the words of Colossians 1, 15 to 17, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. This is Jesus. Could the master of this house have had any comprehension that this child that laid in a depression in his floor was not only a king but the creator of all things? I think not. I mean, there were signs. There were those shepherds. Since when do shepherds come and have a look at a kid at night that they don't know. I mean, they don't usually come in at night because they're looking after the sheep, let alone the master of the house didn't know them. All of a sudden, there's these shepherds saying there's a baby born. I mean, maybe they had too much of the, the good stuff out in the field by the fire. But they were talking about angels and a saviour, the Lord. What? What? I wonder what the master of the house thought about this. They seemed passionate. They were convinced. They were excited. They were exuberant. They wanted to come and see. But this was just a baby. It's Mary and Joseph. They'd, he saw it born. They were poor. There was nothing unremarkable about this. I wonder what he thought. Maybe he, maybe he wondered, could this have been a king? Might he grow up to be a king? But could he have comprehended that this was God? I don't think so. I wonder what had happened if the master of the house had been told, a king is going to be born in your house this week. A great king, king of all of the earth. I wonder who he'd be looking for. I wonder whether Mary and Joseph would have turned up and said, look, I know your relatives. I'm really, really sorry, but you have to go somewhere else because a king's going to be born in our house. Thank you very much. I wonder whether he would have turned the creator of the universe in his mother's womb away because he was looking for something else. In some respects, Jesus was a door. He was a door that not only we enter into relationship with God through, but he was a door through which we were able to see God 
in profound and beautiful new ways. In Hebrews 1, 1 to 3, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in many ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The son is the exact representation of his being. What the writer of the Hebrews is saying to the Jewish people is God has spoken and revealed himself through his son. Jesus, who we have seen and talked to and touched and felt and heard. I wonder what point in Jesus' life he was the exact representation of God. Was it when he was calming the storm? Was it when he was casting the sellers out of the temple? When is it, was it healing the leper? Was it when he was dying on the cross? Or was it when he was lying a few hours old in a depression in the floor with a family he did not know, lying in some hay? I think the answer is yes. The answer is yes. The answer is all of this. The exact representation of God, not because God is, has a physical body, but it, it opens up to us his nature and his character. What, what sort of door would we look for if we were looking for something spectacular? And let's face it, the coming of God in human form is pretty spectacular. I mean, on the scale of specularity, spectacularity, there's a difference, an important difference. This perhaps, if you're looking for something, you're not going to go through that door and expect to find my lounge room. You're going to walk through that door and you're going to think that is going to be spectacular. If you're looking for something spectacular, you're going to be looking for something like that. Or alternatively, perhaps you're looking for something regal. You're looking for a king. So perhaps you're going to be looking at a door like this, a regal door. Surely if you open those doors, you're going to step into royalty. I wonder what the master of the house would have been looking for if he'd said the king is going to be born here but we get a very different door with Jesus. We get a door that we would not expect. We get a door that doesn't hold any promise when you look at it. You get a door that you might just walk past. I suspect the master had the house, had no contemplation, even with these crazy shepherds coming and talking about angels and saviors and messiahs, that this door opened to the creator of all things. The message of the birth of Jesus is that God turns up in unexpected places and in unexpected ways. I think one of the challenges for us as human beings is that we spend our life evaluating, judging, critiquing, assessing. We do it all the time. We do it all the time. We see an incident or an event or something happen and we, we tell ourselves a story. We assess, we critique, we form a view without any understanding of where 
of the circumstances which led to what we're perceiving or any understanding of where that journey is going. We see a dilapidated car and we tell ourselves a story. We go to a shopping center and we have about 500,000 things to get through the checkout. And there's 250,000 people waiting in the queue behind us and we have seven days worth of stuff we've got to get done in the day. And the checkout operator. And you try and smile, how are you? And they're grumpy. And all of a sudden, this checkout operator has just become an obstacle to progress. I have things to do. Can I help you? But you get the look. Maybe it's an employee. A frustrating, ridiculous, why won't they? Or a boss, Peter. Why will he just not? Maybe it's a a work colleague, the grumpy neighbour, the annoying kids, the tired, harassed teacher, the frustrating students. There's so many places where we can evaluate and make judgments and assess, or perhaps we just go through life feeling like we're being evaluated or judged or assessed. The story of Christmas is a story of God who turns up through an unbelievable door in an unexpected place and he doesn't evaluate or judge or assess. He doesn't come and assess the attentiveness of his mother or the quality of the straw or the hospitality of the homeowner. He doesn't sit here waiting to see how long the shepherds took to get here after the angels appeared. He doesn't wonder why the sheep smells so much and keeps flatulating nearby. He doesn't pontificate about the family life of the person he's there. He's just with them. He is God with them. He doesn't need to evaluate or assess. He knows everything before the creation of the world. He knew the state of humanity when he was with his Father in heaven and he loved us. The story of Christmas is a God who turns up. The other part of the story we can get if we think about the owner of the house is that this child was present. He heard him cry. He was there when he was born. He perhaps touched him, felt him. Maybe he had a nurse. He smelt him when he did what babies do. Physically, powerfully present. Jesus fed and grew up. He ran around in the streets. He got dusty and dirty. He learnt to read. He kicked a stone along the street. He learnt how to use his dad's tools. He would have gone to the market and bought food. He would have eaten. He would have slept. He grew tired. He was a part of every single aspect of our humanity. He was present. Emmanuel, he was to be called. God with us. If if the owner of the house had understood who Jesus grew up to be, he could have said, I, I held him. 
He was here. There was no, no illusion that this was fictitious. We will not find Jesus in a manger anymore. But he's still here. God stepped in to creation. Emmanuel, God is with us. What he revealed is, I am here. And he is still here. The other day I was walking to, at night to meet up with someone that I was, I was catching up with. It was probably 10 minutes walk. And I thought I'd just clear my head, have some space or walk rather than drive the car. And it was, it was a beautiful evening. And sometimes when I walk, I'll listen to a podcast or an audio book. And I wasn't doing that. I was just walking. And as, as powerfully as I have ever sensed before, I just had the manifest feeling of Jesus walking with me. There was a whole lot that was going on at work. work. I was walking through some... some um, Heavy waters on stuff. Pete was being really difficult. No, Pete is never difficult. The joy to work with Pete. But there was some, there was some big stuff I was walking through and, and I, I just felt the presence of God. I could almost reach out my hand and I, I, I hold this hand, except that would have looked a bit weird walking along like that. It was like God was saying, I'm here, just keep walking. Now, when that happened, God didn't, Step down off his throne, come down. I said, I'll just hang out with Killer for a while. He was always present. What God did was just open my awareness of his presence. As we think about Christmas, we think about a child, a man, a boy who was physically amongst us. God is still here. Jesus is still present. Jesus is, God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. All of creation has its being in him and through him. All of life is a product of his life. We cannot escape him, but we forget. We forget. So what can we take away from this story as we think about the homeowner as we think about the story of Jesus being birthed in the middle of this family, we can remember that God turns up in unexpected places. And he doesn't necessarily come through spectacular doors. He comes in humility. He comes in gentleness. He doesn't come evaluating. He doesn't come critiquing. He doesn't come assessing. He comes to be with and to love and to communicate and to restore and redeem and heal. And he's here. He's present. How do we take this through so that this Christmas we perhaps sit in this space rather than just careen through the season? Well, perhaps... When we come into church on a Sunday morning, rather than thinking, I wonder what they've got for morning tea. I wonder what the music's going to be like. I've got to sit in those black chairs again. What is she wearing? Why do we have to listen to that Kilpatrick again? He always goes over time. Well, perhaps we could wander in and think God is here. 
I get to sit in the presence of people that he loves. I get to be reminded that he is here. Perhaps I'll see, I'll hear, come expectantly because the creator of all things might turn up in revelation. He is here. You see, we can evaluate our opportunity to be with him out of existence. Perhaps when I'm standing in a shopping centre, queue, looking at this obstacle to my progress through my very important life, I can reflect and think I've got a moment to just stand here. Jesus is here. I wonder how he loves this person. I wonder why this person is struggling so much. I wonder how Jesus would like me to lighten their day. All of a sudden, this person is not an object, it's not a frustration, it's not an obstacle. This person is in the presence of God with me. And I have the capacity, the opportunity, a moment to just lighten their day, to perhaps let them know they matter. Jesus came not to assess, not to evaluate, not to critique. He came to redeem and restore and draw to himself that which he loves. And he came to reveal God's heart and the fact that he is here. So we can, we can survive Christmas. We can run through Christmas. We can get through Christmas. Or perhaps as Mary did, we can ponder these things in our hearts and allow this, them to just deepen us a little bit. As you sit with the idea that God's not assessing, not marking, not scoring, and he's here. And he's really fond of you and everyone else. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you that you came in such remarkably unremarkable ways. Lord, thank you that you came in a way that we could not escape but relating from you. Lord, you didn't come through a spectacular door so that we could think, well, that's unapproachable. But you came and integrated in every part of human existence to communicate that you were with us. And Lord, I thank you that you didn't need to come to assess. You knew all things and you loved the world. And you came to restore and redeem. Lord Jesus, this Christmas, would you help us to ponder these things in our hearts? What it means to be aware that you are with us what it means to be with people in the light of your love for them. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came. Thank you that you're here. Thank you for the opportunity to love you with whoever is in front of us every single day. Amen.